welcome to the Howardsville Gospel Chapel podcast. Be sure to check us out on the web at howardsvillegospelchapel.com. Thanks for visiting and enjoy the message. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. As you turn there, just a little bit, a couple updates maybe. Um, continue to be in prayer for the Miller family, for Carol's family, um, as uh, the loss of her sister and their funeral was yesterday there. But uh, do continue to be in prayer for the family with that loss. Also, we, we haven't been able to see uh, John and Trish Johnson with us recently, and that's because John's been awaiting uh, this uh, surgery that they believe will take place very shortly. Uh, the surgery that John's going to have, we, we're well aware of, of the miraculous way that he was spared uh, about a little over a year ago uh, when his heart, one of the, I don't know all the medical terms, but the heart surgery that he had to have that was uh, very rare that he survived it through, and, and now they're going to have another surgery very shortly that is uh, life-threatening as well for him. And so the tests are on Monday. They're going to be tomorrow. They're going to do some tests. The following day, they're going to try to meet with the surgeon and determine when they can do this procedure. But do pray for John and Trish. Uh, having talked with them, it continues to have a upbeat expectation and uh, the joking manner that we all know from John, uh, but we're, truly it is weighing on them and uh, the severity and the risk of that surgery as well. Um, so we'll try to have prayer chain updates throughout this week. We'll try to remind you again tomorrow um, and then as we find out when the surgery is. But uh, they appreciate your prayers. They wanted to, me to let you guys know that the fact that they hadn't been here wasn't because they didn't want to be, but they're trying to keep John healthy so that he can go through these tests and these procedures. So uh, as we open up here uh, to Titus, why don't we take a moment to pray specifically for John and for this procedure. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and uh, Lord, it is good to sing songs to remember that uh, we are to surrender ourselves before you, and, and some days that is easier than others. And so we pray especially for John and Trish and for Jacob and for the family as they uh, look to surrender the outcome of the days ahead to you, that they might have confidence and faith, that you might give them a peace about the situation that stands before them uh, that can be only described by the hope that they have in you. We pray that the continued life of John would be a testimony uh, to the doctors that will work with him and that his uh, attitude and that his expectation and hope will be evident. Lord, we do ask as we love this family that we do pray that it's in your will to allow him to come out of the surgery and continue to be a light for you. And we ask for wisdom for the doctors who will be giving advice in that. Lord, we do pray for our time this morning as we turn our attention to what it looks like to be sound and healthy in our faith and how that shows itself in the way that we live. We pray that you might give us a challenge to consider more and more how we are to be involved in showing the faith that we hold. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you then, as I have, to turn to Titus chapter 2. 
Titus chapter 2. We started last week as with a look at uh, a sort of introductory into the change in the book of Titus. Titus, we begin in chapter 1, and there's a lot about the formation of the church that Titus has given the role and the responsibility to make sure that things are put in order in the church there in Crete. As we move into Titus chapter 2, though, it goes away from the organization and it turns more so towards the practice of what the faith looks like. And as we mentioned it last week, we described how characteristics of sound faith and sound teaching uh, are one thing to be the, the teaching aspect, one thing to believe the right things, but the, the emphasis that Paul gives to Titus for that church in Crete is that what you believe changes the way that you live. And so as he follows up in Titus chapter 2 and verse 1, telling him to speak the things and teach the things that are of sound doctrine, sound teaching, the next, what follows, is not a list of beliefs to hold, but it's a list of way or characteristics to practice. And so right belief ends up flowing out in right action. And this part shows itself very clearly. So as we move forward here, we're going to see the contrast now between what the false teachers back in chapter 1, who were teaching myths and commandments of men that may have made people look good and may have made people feel good about themselves. And Titus is going to contrast that teaching with a teaching that flows out of the heart of the gospel. And so as we look at Titus chapter 2 today, it's, we're not going to focus on the verses, but we can't ignore the verses at the end of the chapter, which remind us of the, the gospel as the reason for the way that we live and operate. That gospel being that uh, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, the grace of God appeared to all men, bringing salvation, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we could go through multiple definitions of, of how to explain the gospel in different ways, but it is there packaged in the nutshell. God entered into earth or into uh, this world and interacted with man in a salvation and redemption way, giving them a hope and an expectation of a future which changes the way that they live and operate today. So this chapter, as we begin to dive a little bit deeper into this passage, this morning I want to focus on, on a specific idea of this that stood out to me in my study, and that is that uh, we, as we often, and maybe when I say we, I speak more of me, I often consider my faith to be something that is personal to me, an individual, maybe even private. My faith is what I hold, it's what I believe, it's how I act. And, you know, a, a lot of times I consider the faith that I have to be my own. It's individual and it's private to me. But, in this passage, it's definitely explicitly taught and inferred that our faith is not just a private action. Our faith cannot simply be something that we hold ourselves and keep ourselves and keep private within us. 
Actually, what we find out, and we see in numerous other examples in the Scriptures, is that the early believers practiced their faith, which was their own faith. It was their individual faith. It was not the faith of their parents. It wasn't the faith of their culture. No, it was a faith in Christ that was theirs, their own. But they practiced their personal faith in public, in a community with other believers, and in the society in which they lived. If we were to turn to Acts chapter 2, we would read of the very early church after Peter's message, and as many were saved and then began coming together, Acts chapter 2 says they were continually devoting themselves, and you could just take time, and I didn't, but I thought of it now, you could take time to note how many themselves or group kind of words there are. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place for the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need, day by day continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's a lot of doing things together that these individuals in the early church began to practice. Meeting together, eating together, worshiping together. It's not just evident there, but it flowed out, continued. Even so, in the teaching of um, teaching of Peter, as he spoke about spiritual gifts, and it was also in the other spiritual gift passages as well. But in First Peter chapter four and verse ten, Peter reminds the church that as each one has received a spiritual gift, they are to employ it in serving one another as good stewards. The whole concept of being gifted by the Lord and talented and used by Him is used to serve others. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, another form of this is described in where it says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And we could go to many other passages which would tell us that the personal faith that we hold in Jesus Christ as our Savior works itself out when we are together with others. It's a faith that serves others. It's a faith that encourages others. It's a faith that builds one another up. It's a faith that worships together. We could go on and on. Titus here is given the charge by Paul as well to teach things that will show that faith is something to be seen and faith is something that is used together to encourage and benefit one another. As we begin then, let's take a note and I'll read through Titus chapter 2. And we're actually going to read down through Titus chapter 3 and, uh, and verse 3. Titus chapter 2 verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. 
Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge, urge the bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not showing all good but showing all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. These verses here describe, as we've already kind of mentioned, both what it looks like as an individual to practice faith, but also what it looks like to show your faith in public, to work out your faith with one another. So if we turn to our notes here, keep me on track. A sound faith teaches, touches everyone in the church and takes place with one another. Last week we mentioned the overarching themes in verse 12, that we are to live sensibly and self-controlled, righteously and upright and godly. You know, that has an idea of internally self-controlled, externally righteously with others and vertically, I guess you could say, towards God in a godly manner. And as we move here into verses 2 through, uh, two through 6, we see some general characteristics. These aren't, this is not an exhaustive list of all the ways that a Christian and, or an older man or a younger man or an older woman or a younger woman should show their faith, but these are some general qualities and characteristics that are revealed. And so Paul calls this at every level within the church that we should be putting faith in practice. Now, when I looked at this passage, I wondered how I was going to define who are older men and older women and how I was going to try not to offend anybody if they fell into a category of an older man or an older woman when they still felt the heart of a young man and a young woman. So I don't know exactly to put this black and white. There's no age characteristic necessarily on here. I think the best dis division would probably be seen in the difference between the older women and the younger women so that we could pull that out and probably apply it to, to the whole scenario. And that would be that those who are considered older, 
wiser, we'll add that in there, are those who have gone through the process of, of raising a family, or let's just say they've, they've been through the, the stage of, of parenting, and now they are at the age where they would have children of their own, um, and they're watching their kids go through maybe the same steps they did. Does that make any sense? Yes, okay. And the younger people are then the younger men and the younger women, uh, not to discount the teenagers, but the younger men and the younger women described in this verse would be those that are entering into their stages of life where they are beginning to marry and have families and grow in that capacity. So that's, if there's, that's kind of the vision I think we'll see in this verse. What we see as we look through it then, Paul calls every participant in the church to put their faith into practice. Older men, temperate, dignified, sensible. They are to be dignified and, and respectable in all ways. And we could imagine numerous ways that men, and myself included, find ourselves to be undignified and, and yes. But men are to be dignified, self-controlled, and respectable. There's a theme of self-control that runs through this whole passage that we'll get back to at a different, uh, in a different sermon. They are to hold sound, they are to be sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Here's that same word, sound, healthy. They are to be healthy in their faith, healthy in love, healthy in perseverance. And perseverance, if you were thinking of, of three words to describe the Christian faith, you might usually say uh, faith, hope, and love. We don't have hope in this list, but Paul uses it later in the passage. One commentator points out that perseverance has the idea of hope, only the older men are showing their hope in their perseverance. They've held their hope. They've persevered in it. And so it's not that that concept is amiss in this verse, but actually it is encouraged in the fact that to look across and to see older men and older women in the faith us younger men and younger women get to say, look, they've held that faith steadfast. The hope has not wavered despite the storms that life has thrown them and the circumstances and situations that they've experienced in life. Older women are told to be reverent, to show holy and devoted attitudes. They are to be careful about idleness and the traps that idleness brings of malicious gossips or to be enslaved to much wine. Young women are given the encouragement here that they should be loving, loving in their homes, loving to their families, loving to their children, to their parents, to be diligent and devoted within that. Young men are told to be sensible I mean, that's about all that young men need to hear. I might talk about, it does go on a little bit more, but there's, it could be just the overarching thing. Be sensible, be self-controlled. And we can tell that, and I'm the, you know, when we say young men, we're, well, I'm, at least my mind often runs to young men, but we're talking my, me. Be self-controlled. Avoid excess. It's so easily for men, especially to fall into excess, into things that they become passionate and pursuing. Self-controlled, be sensible. 
Now it goes on a little bit farther because Titus himself was likely a young man. And so Paul says, in all things show yourself, even probably pointing to the young man qualities that Titus had. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so the opponent will have nothing bad to say about us. And the young men there, especially revealed in some of those things, have an opportunity to be passionate and upright in deed and action, pursuing the faith in a fervent, fervently pursuing the faith and seeking after truth and integrity with as much passion as they could seek after other things. Paul has reached out to every generation within the church. And he says, practice your faith. To just read those lists, we would instantly say that a believer's faith will exhibit itself. There will be men, and we know men who are respectable and honorable and who are pillars of the faith. We know women who have been steadfast and dignified and reverent and holy and who have stepped into roles to, as it says, to be examples and to teach others. We know young women who are loving to their families, supportive to their children, who are diligent and devoted. We know young men who are passionate about things and passionate about the faith and learning and and growing. But these characteristics are, are visible. They're seen. You'll know it when you know that person. So the transformational character is visible just simply in itself, but it is also, in this passage, I believe, very clear that it's an example to be set and passed on in accordance with the faith. In verse 2, describing the older men that would make up the church, Paul has, has used the word sound, healthy, very specifically in this short book and to this point already. Teach the things that are sound, healthy. Call them back to what is sound, faith, he said back in chapter 1. And here, the example in the, of what that sound is to look like is to be seen in the older men in the church. Sound in faith, in love and perseverance. It's an example that's supposed to be set. The women are likewise to show their faith in a way that passes it on. Teach what is good. Challenged to teach young women through the hardships and challenges of life how they were able to navigate that. How they were able to work through things with their husbands and with their children to encourage and to support and walk beside them in those times. Young women are given the encouragement that they are an example in their homes. And as such, that example will be testified to the community at large. The impact of a godly mother on her children and on her husband is felt across the community. And the young men are encouraged to set an example. Titus is told 
You may be young, but you are to set the example for what it looks like to follow. When we think about that, and the other descriptions in the New Testament about how believers are to come alongside, encourage one another, build one another up, edify one another. We say there is a need for the church to need one another and to rely on one another in the stages of life where they are. Young men and young women need the examples of the steadfast faith of those who have gone before them. Older men and older women benefit from the passion and the experiences that they see shared in the young people in the church. It's a mutual benefit for the church to come together and to be not just a young church or not just an old church, but to be a multi-generational church where the older congregation, the older people have an influence in the lives of the younger people and the younger people are able to encourage and benefit and influence them as well. But this does not just speak in this passage or in Titus at all that says that our sound faith happens only when we're in church, but it also describes how faith works itself outside of church as well, outside of the congregations, outside of the families. Sound faith is described then, as Titus is told, to continue challenging it. It visibly transforms individuals and gives them great significance both in the church, but it's also something that will be evident, clearly evident within the community at large. First of all, faith is to be testified to by those who hold authority. And we move uh, to verse 9 here. And it says, Urge the bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Now the Bible is often criticized for the way that it continues to use and address slavery in a way that many have been critical, saying that the, the Scriptures needed to be more, um, how would you say, critical of slavery and champions of, of overcoming the slavery that was a part of that day. Many have criticized the scriptures for that. Evidence would show us that slavery was a reality in the society in which Titus was working, Paul was working, but what is also true is that the church was unique in the way that it accepted within the church slaves and gave them a status that the rest of society did not afford them and also encouraged the mindset that people are people across whatever boundaries they have. The scriptures began to... or. The Christian faith, many would argue, began to break down the very walls of slavery, especially when we think of the encouragements and um, the letter of Philemon and Paul's relationship with Onesimus. Nonetheless, when we read these passages, 
we say, how do we apply something like that to us today? How do we make sense of, of this role that the slaves had in the machine that kept society going? And the evidence that I think is pretty clear is that it parallels a lot of what we have in our modern society and workplaces, in the positions and in the roles that are relied upon for our society to continue to move and operate. And so therefore, when we read these passages, not to say anything less about slavery itself, but to seek to find a, an application for where it goes, we look and say, how are we to treat those in authority over us? And in this way, we would see it showing the New Testament encouraging employers or employees to be the best employers possible. To work hard, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, and showing good faith in the efforts in which they employ themselves. Another element of authority is seen in chapter 3 and verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient to every to be obedient and ready for every good deed. Another element of authority is seen within society at the governing and the enforcement side. And believers are told in multiple places, including this, that we are to be subject to, supportive of, the authorities that are set over us even within society. In these ways, the influence of faith is felt in the presence of society as individual believers practice their faith, and it touches their workplaces, and it touches the communities and how they approach authority given over them. Sound faith takes itself outside in the workplace and the community, but it also sets a general posture towards all mankind. Towards all people, in verse 2, ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, and showing every consideration for all men. A sound faith has a posture towards all people that is gentle and loving, meek and kind. This is repeated in other passages as well, but its significance is untold to both the church and to the community. This is this practice of believers to be gentle with grace and humility towards others in society gives us the opportunity to stand up and have a defense for the faith that we hold. It gives us the opportunity to practice freely our faith. And it gives us the opportunity to win others to our faith. And so as we look at this passage, and as I've studied it out here, I believe that our personal faith is not something that is private. Our personal faith is something that is worked out in our church communities, our church congregations, and it's something that is visible and evident within our community and to all people as we engage with them. 
it makes a great difference. It makes a great significance to the testimony of the Lord. As we continue on in Titus chapter 2, as we come back next week, we're going to start thinking about what it means for it to leave a sweet savor in people's mouths when we hold godly character. What it does to encourage and show that we are God's people. But today, I'd ask that you consider with me the significance of the call and the means that we have to share our faith in a greater capacities with our church family and within the community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for...